I want to preach from Acts 19. Can you go there? Acts 19. It's good to, it's good to see all of you tonight. I have this aching thing in my heart. You know, I talked to my wife today and talked to my son and my daughter. All my family was at two of my grandkids' soccer games. You know, you start feeling homesick. So you start saying, okay, God. And then he just takes you away in the spirit and you lose time. Because he's better than homesick. As homesick as I get when I think about my grandkids, because I've missed, you know, the last 50 birthday parties or 100 birthday parties and all the ball games. And as homesick as I get for that, I get more homesick to see a real New Testament outpouring revival. Yeah. I have an ache in my heart. It never goes. It never leaves. Then when I come to a place where it seems like the hunger in the room is like what's in my heart, and I feel like we're really close. Amen. And I wonder tonight if God gives us a chance to be that awakening, to be the revival. I'm wondering if a whole room could experience what they did in Acts 2. Oh, yes. There weren't any spectators. There weren't any investigators. There weren't any inspectors. They were all in. What if that happened tonight? The ripple effect would change the world. So I want to see a real New Testament revival before I die. So I'm going to read through Acts 19 and point out a couple things, see what God wants us to do. <clears throat> I can't hardly see tonight. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said unto what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. The first thing that will happen if we have a real New Testament revival 
a real revival is that people start getting born again everywhere. There won't be migration from other churches. Lost people will get saved. So many that you won't be able to keep track. Our left hand won't be able to know what our right hand's experiencing. There'll be so many gifts coming into the temple that we won't be able to keep track of them anymore. There'll be so many people being saved that our problem won't be, let's get some people saved. Our problem will be, now how do we disciple all of them? That'll be the mark of a great, real revival. I've seen people saved. I've been in a service where 60, 80 people were saved. I've never seen a real revival like this. They just kept coming and they kept coming. Because I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But I want to see it. I've, I've given my life for this. I want to see it. Then the next verse, verse 6 says, and after they were baptized in the name of Jesus and they were, you know, born again, it says, Paul laid his hands on them and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they began speaking with tongues, prophesying. I think the second thing that happens in a real revival that brings awakening to a culture is there's impartations or baptisms in the Holy Spirit where people's hearts and minds are cleansed, the gifts of the Spirit are activated, and their whole lives become the manifestation of the heart of the Father. They get so filled with the reality of God that their whole life becomes a revelation of that God. And they can't help but speak the words that they hear God saying. And they can't help but pray the prayers they hear the Spirit praying. I've seen that happen. I've, I've laid hands on people. and I've seen them fly back three rows of chairs. And first time I met Robin... When we were in Palm Desert, I remember she came forward for prayer. I remember I spoke to her, and I laid hands on her, and she shot back, and somehow she slid underneath the front pew. <laughs> I've seen that happen. I've, I've laid hands on people that had 37 tumors on their liver, and the next week they went back to Mayo Clinic, and they had not just not no tumors. They had a new liver with new DNA in it seen tumors disappear off of dozens of women's breasts in the same day. I've seen that. I've seen the impartations. But I haven't seen a revival like this yet. I'm thankful for what I've seen, but it makes me ache because if you can see this, you know that this is available. You see, until our shadows just really do heal everybody, there's more. There's more to shoot for, right? And I think that in a real revival, it won't be a pulpit-driven revival. 
It'll be a royal priesthood-driven revival where people won't be recognized, but everybody will say, God is here. People will go around and they'll have one burning desire to give everybody they bump into the Jesus that has captured them and they can't wait to give it away. It's just a lifestyle of impartation. It's not an impartation service. I kind of get even sick about that. Because that means we think we have to go to a person. It's an impartation lifestyle. Because you can't hold on to something that was given to you so freely. You have to give it away. That happens in a real revival. Amen. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. There were in all about 12 men, and he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. That's the next thing that happens in a real revival. People are born again. People are baptized in the Spirit. Gifts are activated. But then all of a sudden, kingdom teaching starts happening. Not, not sermons designed to get people to pray a prayer, because that almost sounds selfish. What can you do for me, God? But teaching designed for people's minds and hearts to grasp the reality of the kingdom. That it's not just something we're going to, but it's something that's in us and we're living in. And we've been given dominion over everything that doesn't have authority in heaven. We've been given dominion over all of that down here. In a real revival, that's the kind of teaching that will break out. I'd love to see that, wouldn't you? In every pulpit in America, people just started teaching and preaching the kingdom. Come on, man. It says in Matthew 24, I think it's verse 12, that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all nations. Then the end will come. It's a big deal for us to have a real revival. So that teaching on the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? What is it? Well, it's healing. It's deliverance. It's cleansing. It's, it's redemption. It's justice. It's mercy. It's, it's Jesus taking rule and reign over this realm. It's on earth as it is in heaven. It's the kingdom. You get it? That's the kind of teaching that will happen, and it won't be pulpit-driven. Everybody will become the message that the world reads. In 2 Corinthians 3, we all will become living epistles. And in a kingdom-driven message, it's like, the side margins where God's writing the highlights over what he's telling us to do. He's having to use all kinds of adjectives to describe how well we're performing the word he's given us. He'll be taking notes on our lives. It's a kingdom expansion lifestyle. All we want to tell people about is the kingdom of God. Isn't that awesome? That happens in a real revival. Let's, 
Just keep going. Hmm. <clears throat> but when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way for the people. You know what else happens in a real revival? People get real angry. They're not willing to submit and get in the kingdom. And they'll say words that try to destroy the people that are flowing in the revival. They'll try to ruin their reputation. They'll try to destroy them. They'll try to kill them. Like they did Jesus. Jesus brought the kingdom. And everywhere he went, people would try to get him and they couldn't get him. <laughs> He'd walk right through them. I read this afternoon in Luke 4, after he came out of the wilderness, baptized in the Spirit, started prophesying about Isaiah 61, and they started recognizing him, and he started saying some things that made him mad, talked about Zechariah and Bacariah or whatever, and what happened there was they were in the temple and Zechariah preached truth about the kingdom that was coming and they didn't like it so they wouldn't follow him to the altar to repentance so they stoned him. There's nothing new under the sun. If real revival breaks out, the enemy of the kingdom of God will come against the people of the revival harder than he ever has before. Amen. We'll know if it's a real revival because the more the persecution comes, the more the revival will spread. Amen? Can I get amen? Yes. So look at this. Paul, it says, he withdrew from them, took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. This took place for two years. It's amazing. In a real revival, you don't try to prove religious people they're wrong. You don't fight with flesh and blood. You don't develop wars between this camp and this camp. If you're part of the real revival that wants to change a culture, you don't try to fight people that can't receive the word yet because the word's only available for poor in spirit anyway. The prophetic word of the kingdom message is for the poor in spirit. Come on, man. Sovereign Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. Blind eyes, captives, prisoners, oppressed. All the miracles that happen in the kingdom are only usually received by those who are desperate in need of what the kingdom has to offer. People that are satisfied with religion, they can't even hear the word, let alone understand an argument. That's why Paul says never be contentious. That's why Jesus said they don't accept it. Just shake the dust off your feet and go to the next town because I promise you, if you keep going in my name, You'll find the people that are poor, and that's where the kingdom can take root. Yeah. We don't have to fight anybody. We just need to shine. Yeah. We don't have to fight or prove any point. We just need to manifest Jesus. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Let's keep reading through this chapter. It's a good chapter. Two years, man. School of Tyrannus. It's this philosophy house. It's not even a synagogue. It's like anybody can speak. And when I read about this in one of Rick Renner's books three or four years ago, he said that 
here, this was Paul's daily routine for two years. He would make tents or leather goods from sunup till about noon. And then he would shower up and he would start about after lunch and go till six o'clock, seven days a week for two years. In other words, he just stood in this house of philosophy and put in about 3,000 hours of just teaching the kingdom. There's no evidence of anybody getting saved. There's no evidence of any miracles happening. There's no evidence of one thing happening for these full 3,000 hours of one guy who's so sure he's being led by the Holy Spirit to do this that he's just willing to stand there and disciple these 12 guys that are baptized in the Spirit and teach on the kingdom. Just stand there and teach on the kingdom. So what did he do on like spring break? He didn't take one. What about Christmas break? Now he just stood there every day, just preaching the kingdom, preaching the kingdom. What about Thanksgiving? He's preaching the kingdom. What about his two-week vacation? He didn't take one. Half a day, every day, seven days a week for two years. Just one guy, so full of the reality of the kingdom, all he could release was what he was full of. Freely you received, freely give. I promise you, if the kingdom of God is ever expanding, we probably would have to keep giving it away or it would, it would blow us up. It's all he did, man. So look what happens. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. So let's, let's just try to get our head around this. Here's a guy that is just standing doing what God told him to do for 3,000 hours with no evidence of one person amening, not one person sowing into his ministry. In fact, he's got the other people trying to destroy his ministry. But he just keeps doing it. And then it says, God was performing. That's, that's a verbiage that says, out of nowhere, all of a sudden, these extraordinary miracles started happening. And if you really read what that says, Renner says this. What it, what it says in the original language is this. God found a man, happened to be Paul, who persevered into God's bullseye for a city. And God was able to dump his whole heart through one man's persevering obedience to unleash God's heart into a city. <laughs> so they take his hankies off. They throw them on grandma who's demon possessed. And the demons shriek and they're evicted and she's healed. And news starts spreading. I think that's a sign of a real revival. Amen. Somebody actually perseveres, which means there has to be a fight or there's no perseverance necessary. Right. Somebody's got to fight to give birth to the revival. Is that right? Yeah. In John 16, 21, it says there's this woman when she's in labor, it's really painful until she gives birth and she doesn't. Remember the pain? 
It's a picture of the church, the bride of Christ, who's pregnant with revival. But who's going to stay in the birthing pain until it actually comes out? A lot of times we'll push three or four or five or eight times, but if we don't think it's time, we'll go back home. What if God doesn't want us to leave the delivery room until the revival's actually birthed? That word, when she's in labor and in pain, it's this word, tactile, and it's a word that says extreme, excruciating pressure and pain, almost to the point of death, but once the birth is given, all you can remember is the joy of the birth. If we're ever going to see a real revival like this, it's going to seem like we have to die more than once. Amen? But one of the signs of a real revival, people are born again, people are baptized in the Spirit. There's great kingdom teaching. There's lots of opposition and persecution. But people in a real revival don't look at the persecution. They look at what God's doing because there must be a fire within them or they wouldn't have the desire to keep doing what God's called them to do. You get it? I remember Rob and I teased a word out maybe six years ago, Rob. Luke 2.52, remember that word, Procopto? Let me tell you the word. It says Jesus increased at age 12. He increased in wisdom and favor. Wisdom, Sophia, it's a word for the word or wisdom or knowledge. But favor is the word charis for gifting, anointing, spirit, power. At age 12, Jesus increased in word and spirit. And the word prokopto means to press against great adversity. Or to push against, like it's a nautical term, to push against gale force winds, but to keep making headway because the power within you is greater than the winds blowing against you. And that word evolved. Now listen, that word procopto, the word increased, it evolved to the time when Jesus was on the earth to meaning even making progress against heavy blows like a hammer coming down on a nail. Jesus increased from age 12 to age 33 and a half. Because he never shrunk back from the adversity. He kept pushing against the demonic realm. He kept pushing against the pharisaical religious spirits. He kept pushing against the homesick feelings. What do you think? Jesus, I know how homesick I am. My family only lives in Kansas. Jesus' family was in heaven, man. He pushed against all that. He didn't live sensual. He didn't live by his feelings or his emotions. He lived by faith. He lived by a reality that he was on assignment And one day he was going back to the one who even gave him the assignment, so he knew he had everything to finish the assignment. And that same reality can become all of our reality. To where we can push against all the adversity and all the opposition, but instead of it depleting us and we needing ministry going through the 40 days of testing, we come out in the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. Because the more we follow the Spirit, the more we stay in step with the Spirit, the more we stay yoked with Jesus, the adversity doesn't deplete us, it actually keeps filling us. To where we're increasing. That happened with Paul. 3,000 hours, nothing. All of a sudden, his snot rags heal people. <laughs> Come on, man. That's a real revival. Well, it advertises the healing service. It advertises the guy persevering into God's bullseye. I love this, man. I want to see it. You guys want to see it? 
so then, so then it says, um, but, but also some of the Jewish exorcists, I love this, who went from place to place, attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord, Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. That's kind of interesting. I cast you out in the name of Jesus, the guy Paul preaches about, which means Paul's probably known in hell. You know the story. The one demon-possessed guy has so much demon power in him that he tears the clothes off of all those seven sons of Sceva, beats them naked, and they go running out screaming. You know, they're professional exorcists that probably are out of business. <laughs> they're trying to do it in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And the demons say this, Jesus we know and Paul we know about, but who are you? In a real revival, there's always counterfeit stuff that comes up and gives the revival a bad name. That's why we have to be able to persevere. There's always counterfeit spirits. There's always counterfeit stuff that happens. There always is. Because if there wasn't something real, there would be nothing to counterfeit. And I'd rather have some counterfeiting going on, which would give me evidence that maybe the spirit's really in the house. I have enough discernment to know what's real. Come on. It's like, well, I don't want that false fire. And those are people that haven't seen fire. I don't want false fire either, but I'd like to have some fire. <laughs> Amen? They say, say, Jesus we know and Paul we know about. It's two different words. No, epinosis. We know him. We have an intimate working relationship with Jesus. How did the demons know Jesus? He kicked them out of heaven. We know him, but Paul, we epistemai. It's a different word. It's, it's a word that means we're watching Paul. We're investigating him. We, we got people so mad, we told them how to tear his ministry apart, and the more they talk about him, the more his ministry explodes. We, every time we come against him, we had him rotted three times and one time, it was almost like a jailbreak. Everybody in the whole jail got saved, and they started a church, and we thought we had him whipped. Another time, we scourged him, and, and then we stoned him one time. We got everybody so mad, they killed him, and he got back up and went right back in. Every time we mess with this Paul, our kingdom of darkness suffers more than him. In a real revival... People that are persevering would be people that the demons would say, you know, we need to find somebody else to mess with. Because <laughs> every time we mess with that person or that church, more Jesus shows up and more miracles take place and more people get saved. And it's like we thought we'd get them just to need prayer, and we thought we'd get them to go into fear, and the more we press them with the demonic tactics that work on everybody else, these people are peculiar. It's like instead of being worried, they worship more. That'd probably be evidence of a real revival. Amen? So everything, everybody hears about this. I mean, Paul, you know, takes... The one they know about, um, he casts the demons out. 
And so this became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. You know what happened in a real revival in Treasure Valley? The fear of the Lord would be everywhere. And people wouldn't use Jesus' name as a cuss word. They would honor his name again. That would happen in a real revival. It wouldn't be, are you those church people? Are you those River Hope people? Are you those? They would say, whoa, this is God. And there'd be a holy reverence for God again. How long has it been since that was in our country? See, I haven't seen it yet. Obviously, a real revival can only come with a real God showing up. Um, Our methods won't bring extraordinary miracles. Our methods won't bring impartations. Our methods won't get people saved. Our methods can't muster up persevering power. It's only the power of the Spirit that lives within us. So the only way that a real revival can come is if the real God is allowed to come. We need him. And you guys were crying out tonight, and it was like a draw on his heart. I felt it in the room, man. It's like, I felt it. It was a draw on his heart. You know, you guys were reaching up. It's like a vacuum. And you drew him in, and I felt his presence. My heart felt like it was going down in my chest cavity. I said, God's here. Because he felt that. He felt the hunger in your hearts, man. And that's the only way a real revival will come, with the real God. We can't substitute it, guys, for our culture of what's comfortable to us. We can't do, well, that's the language we use, and that's the style we are. No, that won't, that won't bring a real revival. It cuts through all culture differences, man. Real revival is when a real God comes because nobody has their agenda anymore. All they have is his agenda on their heart. And his agenda is for every city and everybody in it to be filled with his presence and his reality. And the kingdom of God is established. Amen? Amen. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it. But I'm dying for it. That's why I live the way I live. That's why I do what I do. My wife has this dream right now for us to do this big homestead deal. She's looking at this acreage and I want to dream with her about that, but I can't. It's like I'm, I care about what she wants, but I, I got to see it revival. I love what he wants more than my kids, more than my wife. I love what he wants more. I got to see it. Now look at this part here. Many also of those who had believed kept coming and confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver, which some people think it might be like $7 million today. 
okay. So that's another trait of a real revival. I haven't seen this either. Many of those who believed, not the world, the believers, kept coming and confessing. Like the church kept coming. It's like they stood in line, not for a bop on the head. They couldn't wait to confess their secret junk. They got rid of their secret stuff because they wanted this kingdom, this Jesus, this spirit that they tasted. They'd never tasted anything like it. And see, this wasn't like, this wasn't like coming to River House and listening to this unbelievable worship, guys. It wasn't like that. It was like once you step over the threshold, you lose your property and you lose your house and you become a slave and you're probably thrown in the Colosseum or you use for some kind of lantern fuel. I mean, this is like, it costs you everything. And they weren't like coming for prayer so they could get blessed. They were coming to confess their sins so they could die. I haven't seen it. Should we say revival and all these ideas, you know? We, well, we get Bethel music, and I love that. They didn't have none of that here. I promise you, there was nobody on stage with the background mood music when they were confessing. <laughs> I promise you, there were people from the Roman Empire saying, okay, keep that person's name because now we'll go take their stuff because it's illegal to believe in this Jesus. And it says they kept coming. <sighs> what kind of a reality would Jesus have to make in us for us to live that kind of self-denial? We had nothing. It was all his. See, I haven't seen it. I'd like to. I want to see it. Look at verse 20. So the word of the Lord is growing mightily and prevailing. That's an awesome verse. If you tie that into verse 10, look at verse 20 with verse 10. Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Asians, a whole continent. There's one guy standing in a house of philosophy, and all we know about it from the text is this. He just preached the kingdom six hours a day, for 3,000 hours, and a whole continent heard that word. No internet, no Facebook, no TV, no cell phones. Just one guy persevering into God's bullseye for a city. And some of the scholars I read said that when Paul passed this church off to Timothy, the church ran 50,000 in the town of 250. I have never seen that. I know there's that church in Seoul, Korea, and, but there's 12 million people in that town. I know there's churches in Argentina and Brazil and South America and South Africa. And I understand that. I haven't seen this. When are we going to see it? If God could do it once, don't you think he wanted to do it every time? And maybe he hasn't found people like Paul 
I think there's people all over the world, you guys, you get it, but I'm American. Jordan told me today about when he was down in Cali and they, they flew in this little 13-year-old prophet who, when they got him to the hotel, he just cried out in prayer for eight hours. He didn't want to see anybody. And finally, the pastor said, we got to go. We got to go. And so he takes him from the hotel to the church, and he stands up, and the pastor said, he preached a terrible message. He said, now, if any of you need healing, just can he, everybody stands up to heal, and he just prays a little short prayer for healing. It takes four hours for all the testimonies. He's like a Paul. That's Cali. What about Treasure Valley? I want to see it. I think that's the only reason why these people started this church. They want to see this. They want to see a real revival where people are saved and people are baptized in the Spirit and gifts are activated. And teaching about the kingdom is normal, and lifestyles of importation is the whole body of Christ. And no matter what the opposition is, you don't fight or get even or keep a record of wrongs. Your heart stays soft and pliable in love. And the more you're persecuted, the more Jesus comes out. And the church just keeps coming and confessing until... There's so much room for God to move that maybe a whole city's saved. <laughs> I want to see that. Obviously, there has to be prayer. It's not mentioned here, but probably somebody wouldn't stand every day for 3,000 hours if he hadn't lived a life of prayer. But I think this is what we're supposed to do tonight. I don't have time to hear everybody's confession because we'd be here till Friday. <laughs> and we don't really want revival that bad. <laughs> and maybe some of you don't have sins to confess, which would even be better. Amen? Because, you know, Jesus never once said, go and sin some more. <laughs> he always said, go and sin no more. Stop sinning. Something worse will happen. He meant that. First John 2, 1 says, I write this to you, dear children, so you won't sin. <laughs> but if you do, it doesn't say when you do, if you do. You have an advocate, one who goes to the Father. So maybe you don't have confessions. That'd be awesome. But they did in Ephesus, and it was the greatest revival in the church. The sad part is, 20 years later, whoa, 20 years later? Think about the church. Paul's the founding pastor, so his picture's probably on the wall in the hallway. <coughs> and then Timothy, and John's the pastor in his 90s, John. That's the first three pastors. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, died at that church. So probably in her 80s, she sits on the front row critiquing John's messages. <laughs> I mean, what a church. And um, 
probably be hard to try to be sinners in a church where Mary, the mother of Jesus, sits on the front row. <laughs> but when you read in Revelation, they did good at guarding doctrine. They did good in not endorsing false apostles. They did good in mission work. They did good in the structure and the image. But you know what? John heard Jesus tell him to write. You need to repent from the height from which you've fallen. You need to go back to the things you did at first. I just described to you the things they did at first. They gave up everything to be a part of the movement of God. And they got to a place where they were so comfortable because of God's blessing that they started preserving what God had given them instead of keeping it flowing. He said, you need to return to your first love. Over 20 years later, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I studied all these revivals. We haven't really had ever a revival like this. Never. I'd like God to do it. So can we do something tonight? We just cried out. We already did that. I felt heaven, didn't you? It was awesome, wasn't it? Can I have that piano guy, Jordan? One of the 15 Jordans. In this? <laughs> Is he here or did he leave? Okay, Jordan, will you play a little bit soft, buddy? Keep it real soft so I don't have to yell. And I know why you named it River House now, because everybody's name is Jordan. <laughs> the Jordan's flowing, right? <laughs> Let's get in the promised land. <laughs> Come on. So let, let's listen. Listen to this. I think everybody here is probably born again. So you've been a part of the beginning of revival somewhere. You've been born again. That's why you're here. Nobody comes to church on Tuesday night that probably hates God. I know some of you have probably been baptized in the Spirit and sanctified. A lot of you prayed for it Sunday night, like the whole crowd. So praise God. Come on. There's been gifts that have flown through a lot of you. and Some of you have seen miracles. Some of you are miracles. Praise God. But I, but I found in Luke 4, it's one thing to be filled with the Spirit and to manifest the power of the Spirit, but the connection is you've got to stay led by the Spirit. You can be baptized in the Spirit, but if you don't keep being led by the Spirit, you'll never come out in the power of the Spirit. And we keep wanting to see the power change our city, but are we willing to be led no matter what He says to do? I think some of you have had opposition. I think some of you have kept your attitude good. Some of you need to repent probably. Some of you are just here because it feels good to be here and you haven't had to pay a price for nothing. It's okay. Your time will come. It will. It's okay. I'm just glad you're here. 
as you get in an atmosphere, you can start doing what the people in the atmosphere do, man. Is Saul among the prophets too? I mean, you just get around the people of God, you'll eventually either run from them or you'll become like them. Amen? I think a lot of you have had deliverance. I think you've seen demons flee because of the authority and the power that you have. We've seen all that. I, we have never seen the multiplication, though, that you can't keep track of. I thought today, if I lived in this town, I'd have, a, I'd have a church where the homeless people are underneath the interstate. I'd have a church right across the road in the skateboard park. I'd have a church two blocks down where all the shopping is. I just have these little churches everywhere. Problem is, God won't let me stay. Bugs me. I want to see a city come to revival. A whole city. But that didn't ever happen, you guys, until they kept coming. That's the missing link. Confessing. Confessing. We don't have time for y'all to confess. I understand that. But we need to do it some way tonight where there's no more secrets. We don't have anything we rely on besides God. We don't have a plan B if he doesn't come through. He's our only plan. If we cut all ties to where there's no escape route, then probably there's no place to escape. We're just all in. Amen? So can we do this tonight? Maybe if you're honest, maybe God could let this be the revival that next year if we see you, there's thousands instead of hundreds. Wouldn't that be something? He, he wants to do, he wants this to happen. The question is, will we do what it takes for it to happen? Amen? So here's the, here's, here's the first confession. I'm not going to have you come up here. I'm just going to have you stand up in honesty as a confession that you're going to stop doing it and you're going to change your mind and do the right thing. Is that good? You glad you're here? <laughs> First thing I want us to confess is if you've had a forked tongue and you'll talk one way around a certain group of people you'll talk another way when you don't think anybody's listening. Maybe you'll talk one way here and another way at work because you want to fit in and want God to make your heart so single that you only talk the way Jesus talks all the time. You're not a gossip. You're not a slander. You don't talk about people that you're insecure so you make yourself feel better. You're going to let God change your whole mouth so all the words that come out of your mouth all they do is build people up or you don't say anything. And you don't want to be a problem causer. You want to be the solution because you want to have the words of grace and you want to speak the words of Christ. And you're going to confess tonight that it hasn't been that way, but you're going to let his power change you into a mouthpiece that lives in the prophetic culture that he died to give us. And if that's, if that's your confession and you want to live that and you're going to done being... It's going to be fresh all the time, not salty and fresh. You want God to change the way you talk. If that's your confession, would you stand up so I can pray? Amen.
Amen. Let's do this as a body. Hold, hold hands with somebody. Just hold hands with somebody. Just let's do it as a body. We're getting right, we're gonna get right together, right? Father, no, you don't no no. Just they're fine. Just I just want them to stand there for a minute. You're confessing it before God and people. I don't I don't believe in close your eyes and bow your heads. I hate it. I want us to come in the light. Amen. And so God, I I just declare that all the reasons why they don't talk your language and they talk sensual, they talk fleshy, they talk emotion-driven or natural mind-driven, I, I just declare tonight that you have access to the deepest parts of their heart and they'll create an atmosphere wherever they go where the kingdom of God is because you live in the spirit and all they're going to do is speak spirit from now on. They're not going to speak flesh one minute and spirit the next. They're just going to release the spirit and life wherever they go. So that anybody that comes to this church or the church they represent, as long as they're around them, they'll feel love, they'll feel hope, they'll feel comfort, they'll feel faith. Because all we release is what we've been filled with. And so, God, I pray you'd fill them now with that voice. That you would fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah 59, 21. You'll take your words now and put them in their mouths. And all they'll be able to speak is your language from now on. And when they hear something that sounds like a gong, they'll just repent real fast and get right back in rhythm with what you're trying to say in the earth. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And if you receive that, just say amen. 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 You can be seated. Amen. Is that awesome? Okay. Here's one. You have a tendency to complain because you feel like nobody else wants to pick up the slack and you have to do all the work. You say, well, we just now covered the mouth. This is different. Most of the time, people that do this are the ones that do a lot of the work, and they've allowed it to become work, like the older brother, instead of love. And if you don't want to complain anymore, we're supposed to complain about nothing. We're supposed to do everything without complaining. You complain, you get cursed by God children of Israel complained. Cost them 40 years, they didn't even get in. What did they do? They complained enough where they didn't believe. <laughs> so we ought to have a sign. No whiners allowed. <laughs> Just worshipers. Is that right? You read Romans 1 where it says they exchanged the glory of God for things they worshipped and they took their eyes off of him and they put their eyes on themselves and it got so bad for them that God finally says okay I give you up and they exchanged natural affections for things that were unnatural and they became homosexuals and lesbians because God just said okay you can go and if you study those verses in Romans 1 the word harmatia or sarks is never used. Sin, missing the mark, it's never used. You know what caused God to give them over? Whining instead of worshiping. 
they stopped gazing at God and they started looking at their own selves and thinking it's about what God could do for them instead of what God wanted to change them into. This is a big deal what I'm asking you to do. I'm believing that God has enough power to make you full of thanksgiving and adoration and worship where you'll never even think about complaining again. Would that change the world? And so that's your confession. You know you've been guilty of it, but you're never going to be guilty of it again because God's going to change your DNA. Would you stand? This is so good. This is a revival. This is revival. At least it is in Acts 19. It's real revival. We're getting rid of stuff, you guys. This is real revival. So, Father, take it out of them. Take the talons, the hurts that the enemy has sowed into their hearts where they don't know why they even do it and they hate it. And they know as soon as they say it, all it does is bring people down because they're already down. I pray, God, you would take out complaining and whining and you put thanksgiving so they could actually fulfill your command to be thankful always, to give praise in every situation and so they could never stop praying. So I decree that over everybody standing here, God. I pray they're never the same. Lord, their deal isn't not anything what happened to them. Their deal is what's happening to them right now. You're putting praise in their mouth. You're putting worship in their mouth. You're taking about all the gossip and the complaining and the worry. And if you receive that, just say amen. Amen. Is it good? Does it feel good? Amen? Looks like revival to me. Maybe I'm seeing it. Amen? You guys can be seated. Isn't this awesome? You say, now, wait a minute, Dan. I thought we wanted the whole city to come. If, if we're going to expose our sins... It's not going to be real seeker-friendly. It's going to be hard. I don't read anything about the city coming. It was the believers. They kept coming. And they got rid of their secret stuff, all those little books that they did all their witchcraft. They got rid of all the things that they thought got power because they realized they tasted the one true power and they didn't want that anymore in their life. Amen? Here's one that's going to make you really happy. You know what the darkest place in most Christians' lives are? Your pocketbook. Because it has to do with your security and your power and your authority. Your money. Your money. You know the two topics Jesus addressed more than any topics? And he, like, created every topic. <laughs> I mean, he came up with them. 
You know what he talked about more? Because I've, I've studied this, you guys. I just like, I spend a lot of time in the Bible. He talked about money and hell more than anything else. He talked about it more than salvation, more than healing, more than the kingdom, more than forgiveness. He talked about money and hell. Did you know a good church? You know what a good church is in America? 20% of the people tithe. That's a good church. You know what the average is in most denominations? It's less than 10%. You know what that means? In a good church, but you're probably a good church, I hope, or I'm just wasting time. (laughs) That means 80% of the people are thieves. If you're leaving now, you're probably mad. No, she's not. She's my friend. I want you to hear me on this. So I don't know why it's so hard. I don't know why I can't get ahead. I don't know why it seems like I'm always going against the grain. I don't know why it seems like the harder I work, the less I have. The more I work, the more weary I get. I know why. If you're a thief, you're under a curse. God can't bless thieves. Thieves don't even inherit the kingdom. So why come and sing and spend two hours? Go home and sin. (laughs) I mean, it's ridiculous. You say, well, that's Old Testament. (laughs) Really? In the Old Testament, you had to give some special offerings and only 10%. In the New Testament, he says, I want it all. Well, should I tithe on the net of the gross? Stupid question. <laughs> Do you want God to give you blessings on the tithe, on, on, on the net of the gross of what he is? I mean, it's not even about your money, you guys. It's about the posture of your heart. God so loved the world, he gave everything. He bankrupted heaven so he could buy us. And we want to negotiate You know, no, no revival will ever happen, ever, with thieves. But revival has to happen if people are as generous as God. You know, I used to say this, and I, I'm, not, I'm not bragging, because, I, man, I'm so broken right now, I'm undone. It's only by God's grace that I'm even talking, because I couldn't talk before I got up. My heart is breaking for revival. But I used to dream, Lord, I want to live on 10% and give 90 away. It used to be my dream. Gave away 90, now I'm living on 3%. I give 97% away. I want to get to 1%. (laughs) I changed my vision. I mean that. So if you have robbed God, you don't want to be a thief. You want to start trusting God with your provision. You want to to say, okay, I'm tired of trusting God to a point. I want to take the lines out. I don't want to say, well, I'll go so far, but man, that's ridiculous. Who's going to take care of me? Well, you, until you let him. 
And he's probably better at it, you guys. He made you for his dream. He, he, you know, 500 sperm running into mom's egg, and you were the one he picked. You were the one. You were the one. It was like they were all doing the back swim, going up the canal, and you were the one that said, you guys can work all you want. I know I'm the one, and boom. I mean, so you're here for God's dream. His dream is not for his kids not to trust him. What kind of blessing could God pour out on a young generation church that got this down before they got old? You don't understand, Dan. I got all these school debts and I got this. and I, I understand. I've been there. You can't outgive him. You test him, man. And so, tonight, here's a hard one. If you've been a thief, but after the night, you're never going to be a thief again. You're going to get out of a curse, and you're going to start being blessed. Because God doesn't need your money. He needs you to trust Him with your money. This isn't even about money. But for some reason, it's about money to God. Because He wants to see your heart. If you're going to be done with thievery and get back in step with God's favor tonight, I just want you to stand up as a confession right now. This is so good. This is so good. This is so good. You guys can sit down. You guys can sit down. I don't want anybody to be embarrassed. God doesn't want to embarrass anybody. He just wants us to come in the light as he's in the light and have fellowship one with another. How much more now can we fellowship knowing that we're all getting rid of the stuff that keeps us from being able to fellowship? How could I love you like I love myself unless there's things in me I can't love? Until I get rid of stuff I don't love, there's no fellowship. There's superficial gathering in a room hoping somebody on the pulpit will make you have a goosebump. Am I right, church? The income of this church probably just now doubled. It's good. It won't go to them, it'll go to the kingdom. It's awesome. Here's one. Ooh. You struggle with lust. Shouldn't. Jesus didn't. But you do, so that must be something that you need to give up. Well, I've tried. I know. But maybe God has enough power if you stop trying and just trust Him. Maybe if He become the desire of your heart. Maybe if He became the sole passion of your heart. Maybe if you experience 1 Thessalonians 4, now may God himself, the God of peace, or 1 Thessalonians 4, this is God's will that you be sanctified so you can avoid sexual immorality. Maybe this is your sanctification moment to where the porn draw is replaced with the Jesus draw. Well, I don't act on it. I just think about it. Oh, that's a good excuse. 
Jesus said, if you think about it, you've already done it. Wouldn't it be amazing tonight if we just let the spirit of lust be cast out of us? Just the spirit, the spirit of lust, this perverted spirit that takes what God created as so beautiful as a, as a picture of what even makes God known. When a man and a woman come together, it's like the picture of God. They twist it, makes it about us instead of about God. What if God gave us a new mind on this area and no more could lust take root? It would always be on the outside, but it wouldn't be coming out of the inside. Wouldn't that be an amazing freedom tonight? Think about that. If we got rid of the spirit of lust and we were just pure, and this would be one church in America where there was never an affair. You have a spirit of lust, but you want it destroyed, stand up, must believe. Come on. This is good, man. Lord, make us holy. Make us pure. Lord, they come into the light right now. They come into the light right now. Spirit of lust, you have to leave. Spirit of perversion, you have to leave. Spirit of shame, you have to leave. Just be cast out of all these precious people right now. They want to be free. They wouldn't have stood up if they wanted to be free. That that lure, God, that they just want to always pursue self-gratification and all that stuff, God, let them be gratified in you. Let them, just let them be at rest in you from now on. Let, let you be the desire of their deepest passion. Make us a holy bride. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I know we did this last night. We're almost done. I know we, and tomorrow night I want to do an importation service, even though I don't like them. <laughs> I want to do it because God told me I was supposed to. But I got to do this first because we need to be vessels that God really wants to anoint. I don't believe he'll ever anoint a vessel he doesn't totally possess. He won't baptize any vessel that he doesn't already fill. He doesn't waste his grace, his power, his empowerment. He doesn't waste it. He sees our hearts. And I think he's pleased tonight. He sees repentant hearts. This is, we just read about this. We're seeing it. Whoa. I'm excited. It's worth it, isn't it? No matter what it costs, if we get Jesus, isn't it worth it? Man, so you know what I hear right now? This isn't even what I was going to pray about, but I hear right now Satan's haunting you. Some of you that have stood, nothing's going to change. You're just an idiot. Now people, what do, what do people think? He's haunting you right now. Rebuke him right now. Just say, no, I don't listen to you. I'm not listening to you. You're a liar. Truth set me free. Truth occupies me. 
I've not listened to lies anymore. I've listened to them all of my life. What has it got me? Bondage. I'm listening to truth. I made a confession. I'm standing on that truth. I'm free. Amen? How many of you Satan was already twisting with you and, and you know when I spoke now, just stand up if that was you, please. If Satan was already lying to you, saying, well, you idiot, why you, why you make, see, it's true. He does. He lies to us. Never again are we listening to lies. Come on, we're listening to truth. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. This is good. Last night we addressed unforgiveness but some new people are here. And so I want you to be forgiven, but you have to forgive. So I want to, I want to do a couple of prayers here. He said, why don't you do it all at once? They took the promised land one king at a time. After they, listen to it, after they destroyed Jericho and Ai and the five kings that I believe represent the five senses, they destroyed the big thing, Jericho, and the little thing, which is sin and the nature of sin. But then they also got victory over the five, the flesh. They starved them out in the cave and cut their heads off. There were still 31 more kings to conquer. One for every day of the month. <laughs> this is what I believe. We need Revival takes heart surgery because God doesn't occupy this. He occupies this. This is his throne. And he wants us to get real with every area he reveals to us. It's not just like come up here and pray in secret. It's like let's come in the light where the enemy who's kept us in defeat is exposed. Amen. Amen. But this is, this is one here. I feel really strong for this. You have shame in your life because of some things that have happened to you. Whether it's abuse, sexually, physically, verbally, relationally, financially, somebody abused you and you're, you're tired of carrying that womb and you want to forgive them. You want to be healed of shame. Shame in that. You just feel bad about yourself because of something that happened. Or maybe you did it to somebody else. That's sometimes even worse because you can't forgive yourself, right? So maybe tonight would be a night you actually get free from shame deep wound from something that you didn't deserve you let it go tonight would that be amazing if we just got free of all shame tonight and I don't know how to get rid of it unless you forgive the person that caused you to have it and so if you want to do that tonight would you stand up please come on come on please don't wait God's going to heal your hearts tonight He's going to heal your memories he can rewrite your memories. Can I have help? Look at all these people. Can I have somebody just touch each person that's standing? Please, please. They need somebody to touch them. Please, don't let anybody be standing here alone. Anybody that's standing for healing, for shame. I don't want anybody standing here alone. I want somebody to have a shoulder on them. Jesus, we believe you're here. You're a healer. Carice, there's a lady standing right there. Come on, somebody, stand up and touch. Oh, you got a hand on her. Okay. Father, heal these memories. Heal the shame. Heal these minds. Take these deep roots of hurt out. Let them forgive. 
Let them forgive. That's the only way we're healed is if they forgive. Let them forgive. Take away the shame. Lift that, lift that stigma. Lift that, that pain. Lift it off of them right now in Jesus' name. Now, would you just in your mind say, I forgive and list the person's name, whether it's you or somebody else. Maybe it's God. doesn't matter who it is. Would you just speak it and say, I forgive you, and just let God fill your heart with healing? Would you do it? Just, but you got to say it. Just whisper the name. Whisper the name. Jesus, I pray for healing right now. All shame leave in the name of Jesus. All offense leave. We're not going to be people bound in unforgiveness. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We receive this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, church. Let's just trust God. He's supernatural now. Let's take away the shame. Take away the shame. Amen. Amen. Do we believe? Do we believe? Amen. He's here. He's here. He's here. He's here, David Morris. He's here. He's here to heal. Bind up broken hearts and set captives free. That's what he's doing. Isn't this awesome? How many of you know tonight that shame's gone? Seriously. If, if, If it left you, would you stand up? Listen, if it left you, would you stand up? Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. so good. You notice it's not about a pulpit guy. It's about the one who's filled the room. Trying to work myself out of a job. I really am. I want to be a part of the movement. This is so good. It's doing my heart good. You're helping me. I'm so full of joy. you know tonight as I've been preaching and I was talking about this confession deal and the Lord brought to your mind somebody that you know that you have to make it right you know you've said something, you've done something you, you took something whatever, you know you have to make it right because the spirit told you to it's very important by the way because Acts 5.32 says God gives the Holy Spirit to everybody who obeys Him. It doesn't say everybody who obey. It's continuous. So whenever the Spirit reveals something to you, we've got to act on it quick. We keep short accounts so nothing ever builds up between us and God and us and each other. No offenses, man. You know tonight God's told you I need to call that person as soon as I get out of this room. I put it off way too long. I got to call my mom. I got to call my dad. I got to call that brother. I got to call that ex-boyfriend. I got to call that boss. I got to call that pastor. 
If God's told you to do that, I want you to stand as a confession that as soon as the service is over, you're going to act in obedience. Would you do that right now as a confession? If God's told you, you've got to make it right. Stand up. Stand up. This is good. This is heavy stuff, you guys. Praise God, brother. Praise God. Praise God. We're going to get it right. Why don't we just get it right? Amen. This is good, you guys. See, this is real revival. There's not a lot of goosebumps right now. You notice? God's doing heart surgery. I don't know how to do heart surgery without doing heart surgery. It's real. Doing this will never draw money like televangelists get, but it'll draw the presence. It's awesome. I just declare that you'll have courage. You'll have courage. You'll make it right. Amen. You knew it. It's beating in your heart, wasn't it? There's a couple more people. Please don't miss this moment. Let's see the revival. There's a half a dozen more people in this room that need to stay. Amen. 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 We got to make it right. There was a story. Amen. Amen. There's a story in 2 Samuel 21 where it says year after year after year after year, David prayed about this famine and God never answered, no matter how hard he prayed, until he righted an old wrong that one of his previous leaders had messed up a covenant that they had made with the Gibeonites. And six or seven people had to die to right the old wrong. But once the wrong was righted, the prayers were answered and the famine stopped. Sometimes you can't pray until you do. What if we live lives that we didn't have to pray real good because our lives were already the prayer? We could just speak what's already happened and it would happen because we've lined up with God's will already. Amen? And so, take courage. So, well, I don't know how I'm going to do it. God will give you the words. Well, what do I say? Just tell them you love them. Start there. That's probably always 100% prophesying. <laughs> I love you and God loves you. Let's start there. Do you believe God will give you courage? Seriously, this is revival. We'll make it right. You guys can be seated. Isn't this amazing? Is this amazing? I think this is my I think this is our last last one. I I want to I want to address bitterness. Bitterness. You've been angry tried everything you know to do and nobody listens and you felt like you beat your head against the wall and, and you got angry and then you became bitter. And how do you know when you're bitter towards a person or a situation? You write them off. You say, well, I've forgiven them, but you have nothing to do with them. You just throw them under the bus. You'll, you won't even acknowledge their existence anymore. That's bitterness. What if there was no bitterness in this room? <laughs> Whoa. It's awesome. 
What if tonight you said, I'm not going to carry this bitterness anymore. I'm going to get let God heal me of all this bitterness. I'm going to love. I'm going to love lavishly over all my enemies and my persecutors and the naysayers and the people that have tried to stop God's movement in my life. I'm not going to be bitter. No bitter root in here. A tree of life. Amen? If you need to get rid of bitterness, please stand. Man. Unbelievable. Thank you, Jesus. I pray you take it away, God. But these people got to just walk in the reality that it's gone now. Help them to love the unlovable. Break off bitterness. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you receive that, would you say amen? You receive it, say amen. It'll heal families. It'll heal churches. Is this awesome? You guys can sit down. We're almost done. I'm so sorry. It's taking so long. That revival in Ephesus took a long time. <laughs> the sermon was 3,000 hours. <laughs> I got to address this one before we close. If you struggle with fear, wouldn't it be done to be done with fear? Just fear. Fear, phobia, phobos, just fear. What if we just got rid of fear? What if we just stepped over the threshold and fear was always behind us instead of in front of us? Yeah. Just to be fearless. I mean, what if we really got to the place where, well, what can happen? I could die, but that means I'd be with Jesus. Doesn't sound bad. I mean, seriously, if we got to that place where we didn't count our life as worth holding on to we just gave up now there's no fear would that be a good way to live seriously no fear so tonight if you want to declare and confess that fear will no longer have tyranny over any part of my life I'm going to live so free from fear I'm going to be fearless so if that's you would you please stand we're going to get rid of fear holy smokes Jesus take it take it Perfect love cast out all fear. In Jesus' name, if you receive that and you're going to walk in fearlessness, just say amen. amen. You can be seated. Now, here is the last one. This is true. I got to end this. We got a whole nother day. Woo! Everything I address tonight is a symptom. It's a symptom. Lust, thievery, gossip, slander, pride, worry, all these. They're all symptoms. They start here. It's how they manifest. They manifest in emotions and thought processes and actions. But they're not the root. They're the symptoms. The root is your heart. 
I just I want you to be very I want you to be very careful when you just say okay I want to stand for that because I don't, I don't want you to do it unless you really mean it. But what if tonight I didn't need to stand for any of those things? Is it because I'm all that, or is it maybe because God's really done a work in my heart? I'm not lying. I couldn't do this if it was a lie. If I had a pornography deal, there'd be no anointing. Come on, you guys. If I operated in manipulation or fear, there'd be no way I could preach like this. You could never offer something you haven't experienced, ever. You can't lead anybody where you haven't gone. So maybe I do have a pure heart. Only time will tell. And maybe if he could give me a pure heart, he could do it with anybody that wanted to give up their heart. Maybe when I come back, you won't have to do those confessions. It'll be all the thousands of new people that will. Seriously, come on. I mean, wouldn't it be nice to live not having to go through your prayers to get right with God so you could talk to him. But just start off with, God, what are we going to do next? Because our hearts are so one and our minds are so one and we're face-to-face as a lifestyle. There's no shame because we haven't allowed it to come back in. Come on, you guys. But it has to start. And he won't give the Holy Spirit to anybody unless you really specifically asked him because he doesn't force it into you. He doesn't like, he doesn't force it. He wants to give you his grace, his power, his endowment, but he'll only come where he's invited, which is just whoever's yielded, whoever's consecrated, whoever's just surrendered to his will. He could probably sanctify everybody in this room that wanted him really to do it if it's tugging on your heart. I said that Sunday night in the first service. You can't do it unless it's tugging on your heart. That's why I want you to be, I'm talking you out of standing. I mean that. I don't want you to stand up. I, sometimes I don't like altar calls because people hide in them. Sometimes if people start moving, well, I better move. And you hide. Nothing happens. I'm not impressed. How many people stand? I just like to see one person that gets this, and maybe you're the Paul for this valley. You said, get this. What do you mean this? I thought it was a person. Well, I'm talking about the experience that God wants to give you. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, faithful to who calls you, he will do it. It's a work of grace that cleanses you from all sin. I mean, he, he provided that. It cost him his life so you could be made holy. It didn't cost him his life so you had to keep being forgiven all the time. That's kind of old covenant. Jesus went around forgiving people before he died. Woman caught in adultery, John 8. Who condemns you? Neither do I. Go and sin no more. The man at the pool, Bethesda, stop sinning. Your sins are forgiven, using everything she had to wash his feet. 
It didn't cost him his life to forgive, but it cost him his life to change our nature. Come on, you guys. Colossians 1, 21, 22, it says, he had to die to make us holy. It's good preaching. It is this. It says in Ephesians 5, 25 and 27, Jesus died so he could sanctify his church and present us without spot or wrinkle. In Hebrews 13, 12, it says Jesus had to go outside the city gate all by himself and die so he could make his people holy. Now, if it costs Jesus his life so you could be made holy, what do you think the requirement on our end would be to receive something that cost him his life? He would want our life. On. There's five or six different verses in the New Testament that says, now that you become a son, you have an heir to an inheritance. And if you get an inheritance, somebody has to die. He already did. So he waits on us to die. I'm trying to talk you out of this. I mean, I'm not being funny. I'm not. Because I went to the altar a thousand times and nothing ever happened until I got to the end of me and then it never stopped happening I'm preaching from experience now and so if you know tonight the spirit's saying you know if you just let me sanctify you if you would just let me purify you I could flow through you like a wind I could rush through you like a river and none of it would be perverted by your agenda because you would be my agenda You would be my dream unleashed on the earth if you just let me make you like me in this lifetime. So here's the last call. I love that song that you were singing. This, draw near to me. That's what this is. He wants us to know him so he can reproduce through us. the Holy Spirit saying, will you let me sanctify you through and through? I want to make you pure. I want to make you holy. You'll never be perfect, but you'll always want to be. It'll be your desire because it'll come from me into you. If the Holy Spirit's drawing you to that right now, where you know tonight is your night to get so pure that you and him are one, would you stand and receive that work of grace? Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Father, we can't do any of this. You're the one who cleanses. You're the one who purifies. You're the one who empowers. 
You're the one who sets free. You're the one who sanctifies. You're the only one. It's the God of peace that does all this. It's not the God of anything but the God of peace. And so we just give up our lives to you. We give them up. They're no longer ours. They're your life. And you don't get offended. And you don't get afraid. And so now, Lord, we'll be so keen to what you live that if we ever feel like we're not living that, it'll be real easy to repent because we'll have tasted it and experienced it. So, Lord, I pray for a baptism of the Holy Spirit now in this room. I pray for a baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire. I pray that holiness is permeated through every cell of every person standing. And I pray, God, in that holiness that all of your gifts are activated and we become the living revelations of God. I can't pray for you, folks. You need to cry out and say, God, sanctify me, purify me, make me like you. You need to cry out. You got to ask him. Just ask him. to sit down please sit up sit down really just really really quick we're, we're done it's 9 40 listen this is very important I want you to hear this is very important Acts 26 18 says you're sanctified by faith not feeling faith truth that sanctifies you. John 17, 17. Sanctify him in the truth. Your word is truth. There's no feeling in truth. It's a person. It's Jesus. He wants to take up residence and take up all the space and stuff you with him. He just wants to take it all. Just he wears you like a glove. Am I right? It says in Hebrews 6.12, this is very important, that the only way you obtain, not attain by works, that's religion, that's legalism. I hate it. There's a difference between attain and obtain. Obtain is by faith. It says in Hebrews 6.12, the only way you obtain the promises of God are by faith and perseverance, which means you may have to go home and keep believing that it happened. Get it? Did you know all the promises of God are yes and amen, but there's only one promise of the Father? And it's what you just now prayed for. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit's fullness on your life. That's the only promise of the Father. <laughs> he wants you to be like a son. He wants you to look like a Christian. So could we believe his word is powerful enough to do what you prayed for it to do? Amen. John eleven forty. 40. 
didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory? What if it's already in you? I think it is. <laughs> is this an awesome night? Remember the old song, It Hurts So Good? Doesn't it hurt good? It hurts to die. But once you come alive, it's worth it. It hurts to give birth. I really believe, I know we got a whole day tomorrow, but I really believe when I see you again, we won't recognize each other. We're on a trajectory now that nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it except you. Nothing can stop it. You can take the whole city. Amen. I don't even have to close the service. I mean, I don't want to say something stupid and funny. I mean, it's just... I want more. I want more. So tomorrow night, we'll specifically go for healings, miracles, uh, manifestations, and impartations. We'll go for that tomorrow night. The whole service will be designed for that. I'll probably, we'll move the front row so we'll have more room to minister. And so get here early. God will do a lot of cool stuff because he's got some holy people to work through. It's awesome, isn't it? You say, well, Dan, that sounds like legalism. I don't have to do that in the street. You're right, because the street's not the body of Christ. To whom much is given, much is required. And we know better. <laughs> they don't. He'll just whack them because he loves them. He wants us to get right because he loves us. He treats kids different than people that aren't in the family. You get it? Amen? So I love you. We love you. Jordan loves you. Jesus loves you. We're full of love. <laughs> Has this been good or not? Do you guys? Amen. Do you want to see a real revival? So let's be a part of it. Let's be the revival. You guys are dismissed. Amen. Amen.